Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct-to-consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On episode 66, I sit down with Dan Partridge, CEO of Swanky, one of the world's most experienced full-service international Shopify Plus agencies. We discuss transitioning from an entrepreneurial corporate lawyer to the agency world, Shopify's commerce components rollout and its impact on the wider market, especially on commerce tools, what it's like working with 100 million GMV brands, being cautiously optimistic about the e-com landscape in 2023, the advantages of being vertically agnostic but focusing on subscription brands, the process of coming into a new company industry as a CEO, and the advantages and disadvantages of being a lawyer in an agency. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started today for free by visiting clavio.com slash your basket is empty. That's K-L-A-V-I-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Dan, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Hey, Tim. I'm really good. It's um, We're recording this on a Friday lunchtime and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm tired. It's been a big week, lots of heavy <laughs> lifting, lots of progress though, lots of lots of wins, I think. So uh, I'm feeling good, yeah, going, going into the weekend. And I am speaking to you from my office in Montpellier in the south of France. Lovely. And I, I haven't asked you this, but what what's the French connection? Are you... Do you, and do you speak French? I'm assuming you do. Well, I am now at a stage where I think I can publicly declare to the world that I, I do speak French, which um, I couldn't have oh, done. Oh, you couldn't have done that before? Not when I moved to uh, France, okay. no. Okay. No, my um, my wife is a linguist and uh, I suppose took a pretty big gamble um, marrying me for lots of reasons, one, one of which was that uh, <laughs> the likelihood of me living abroad at one point was pretty slim. So... Um, yeah, the, the moment it became a possibility, we we jumped at the chance and it was a real nice. bucket list type thing for us. That's very cool. Um, okay, I usually have to start these things with a bit of a rewind and a bit of a, you know, like set the scene from a journey perspective. And yours is a rather interesting one. So why did you decide to transition from law to the agency world? Mm-hmm. Well, um, for, those, for those that don't know anything about me, I was until 18 months ago, a corporate lawyer, uh, a very happy corporate lawyer as well, it has to be said. Um, working uh, with amazing businesses, helping them raise venture capital funding, uh, helping others a bit later on go through private equity deals and and in some cases exits and and M&A as well. And um, I was very happy. It was was a fantastic career. For for those that don't know loads about the legal career, it's a bit like medicine or or other careers where it's incredibly broad, that there Mm -hmm. are so many disciplines within it. Um, And for me, working with really quite cutting edge startups and scale-ups was was terrifically rewarding and, uh, and a lot of fun but obviously i'm not doing that anymore so something obviously had to have uh, had to have given and um i suppose there, there were a couple of things really i'd say so i was quite entrepreneurial for a lawyer um i think in the real world i'm pretty risk averse but in in the legal profession i was pretty pretty risk comfortable nice. and so i was doing things like 
building a practice within the venture capital space uh, in such a way that wasn't typical. Um, I was uh, doing things like setting up an angel investor network with the senior mm-hmm. partner of my firm. And I was basically really jealous of, of all my clients all of the time who were building businesses, who were raising money, who were building product, who were scaling, going through those challenges. And um so I suppose, uh, in a sense, whilst I enjoyed being an advisor, I, I very much wanted to get in the game uh, and build for myself. So when the opportunity came to join Swanky and to do exactly that, it was uh, it was great timing and um, it was too good an opportunity for me to turn down, knowing what I knew about myself and, and what I wanted to do. Nice. And just talk me through the mechanics. Of, uh, I can't remember from memory. Would they Was Swanky a client of yours? How did you, what was the connection there? How did you meet those guys for the first time? And And yeah, I suppose... What, what what was it about the the agency space, or were you kind of thinking, look, this is kind of startup land? You know, it, it it could be they could have been building a product, but they happened to be a services company, and it didn't really matter. You just wanted to get involved in that world. Mm, yeah, it's a great question. I'd had a um, pretty long standing friendship with the two founders of of Swanky. Um, had never anticipated it being anything other than that. But um, as anyone that's got friends in the legal profession or, or other professions knows um they can be very useful for asking questions too and, and getting getting a bit of free advice now and again and of course you can never confess to having any you know at any point having given free advice but certainly that's yep. that's the great hope yep. of uh, yep. of the, entre- the entrepreneurs in my life so um uh i knew that they were growing very quickly i'd seen firsthand how exciting the shopify ecosystem was that that's ranky operate in but I also knew how much pressure was on them uh, as a pair, really, uh, scaling from two of them through to, at that point, 50, 50-odd 50 people, and uh, had identified that we worked well together. We had uh, a friendship which wasn't just built on friendship, it was built on shared passions around business and uh, a kind of consensus around operating styles and philosophies that, that really converged. So um, I suppose fr- from my perspective, I had a lot of confidence in what they were building, but also knew that they were scaling and that scaling is painful. And I think from their perspective, they knew me very well and they saw a different skill set from anybody in our business and, and from, I suppose, you know, most people in our in our ecosystem even. So uh, it was quite it was quite um, an easy decision for me and I, I hope it was quite an easy decision for, for the team as well. Nice. I, I want to get onto the idea of coming in in such a senior position because I feel that I feel that a lot of agencies could use somebody like you. <laughs> And I think it's difficult sometimes for them to justify it from a cost, but also just like what would somebody like you do in an agency, right? Because it's, you know, they're very challenging business models. But we'll get onto that in a sec. For those that don't know, what what is Swanky? Like, what do you guys do? Where do you guys sit within the kind of Shopify space? And then, you know, we can get into sort of a bit more of the mm. who the clients are and stuff. Mm. Yeah, Swanky's a very longstanding Shopify Plus mm. partner, uh, agency partner with a team across multiple locations now. So uh, headquartered in the UK where we were founded, but also in Australia where we've got a medium-sized team uh, and then a couple of us in France where we're starting to build as well. Um, I think we've got about 70 full-time employees in the business. And uh, as you say, we've been a sort of well-known player in the Shopify Plus ecosystem in in the UK and, and EMEA for the best part of a decade, really, or certainly um, Shopify Plus isn't quite that old, but uh, 2016 onwards. And in terms of what we do, very straightforward, really, we have, we have broadly two service offerings. We have uh, project work whereby we will migrate brands from legacy platforms onto Shopify Plus, or sometimes we'll build new brands or, or new stores for those that are going to market uh, for the first time. 
And then the second part of our business, which is is broadly equally weighted, is all around growth retainers, which are managed services to help brands scale, uh, solve problems, uh, accelerate their growth. And uh, we actually call that our growth accelerator service. Nice. That's great. Great synopsis. Um, Slight change of gears. I want to talk about Shopify, but you and I have had a few discussions on, I suppose, Shopify's entering into the enterprise space you know i suppose first off the big development or one of the big developments there and that seems to seem to suggest that they want to get more into that you know section of the market is the components feature rollout i'm curious from your perspective who's someone quite bullish on shopify and enterprise market what do you think it means do you think they've done a good job with the rollout how are you guys thinking about it internally in terms of that specific you know feature development mm. So for the benefit of listeners, um, probably two weeks ago now, Shopify announced a new product called Commerce Components by Shopify, uh, which is very interesting for for lots of reasons for people like you and for people like me, Tim. But um, maybe not yeah, everyone. <laughs> maybe not everyone. But but we can talk about it at length, and and uh, others can humour us kindly. Um, what would I take on it? it? It's very exciting, and it's an important step. I think it's in many ways, a line in the sand for Shopify to make it very, very clear that there is a genuine enterprise-first solution available within within the suite of tools. As you hinted, really, I've been, and Swanky, been very, very bullish on on Shopify Plus's positioning for 18 months or so. We're working with merchants and and retailers now who are very much larger and and more significant than we would have been two or three years ago. Uh, We've got a number of clients clearing 100 million uh, per year in GMV. And so we really are very comfortable with the idea that Shopify Plus is an enterprise-grade solution. It's not for every enterprise. It's not always the right use case, but it's very, very diverse in its use cases and the way that it can be deployed. And, and with an experienced development team, there's not a lot you can't do with, with one or two limitations, perhaps, at the, the very top end of that, that enterprise piece. So I suppose Commerce Components by Shopify, which which basically unbundles Shopify, it makes the sort of... Conf- I don't know, 30 constituent parts of Shopify Plus composable. It allows you to pick and choose, to build with certain parts, to discard others should you choose to. Uh, It creates something quite compelling as a go-to-market proposition that you don't necessarily have to build within the ecosystem in quite the way that you would at the moment. I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, a sea change by any means. I think mm. it's a gradual a gradual step. But what, what very importantly, what it is is it's a it's a very clear marketing uh, direction, and it gives us something in terms of go to market strategy, which perhaps we didn't have before. Which is something which is very clearly targeted at, at brands doing hundreds and hundreds of millions with the most complex requirements and international commerce and all kinds of things, which until now perhaps the market has not realised Shopify is well placed to serve. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's where I'm struggling to get my head around. And I think some of it is not so much smoke and mirrors, but you've got to give the vision of what it's going to be like in the future and, and you know, make the leap, right, in terms of their product development. But, I, you know, I wonder is success for them is they stop, you know, 1% of their top, top merchants from leaving and they get 1% of the enterprise market to come onto the platform, and that would be success, I reckon. You know, certainly in these early stages, it feels like that that would be good. But I'm curious then, you know, the other big player that's sort of like talked about, and I know the guys on Replatform had uh, the dude from Commerce Tools, but how do you see this as a contender to Commerce Tools? Do you see it as a contender? Do you think Commerce Tools will kind of come down market? How is this all going to play out 
you know, in the next couple of years. Mm. It's a fascinating space, uh, obviously introducing a product called commerce components in a market where you have commerce <laughs> tools. No shit. I didn't even think of that, eh? Yes. I mean, may- yes. maybe they asked, maybe they asked the AI to write, right? Yes. Uh, my list of Chat GBT to, on overload. You know, yeah. Nice. Use, use the synonym function in, uh, in Microsoft word or something, but, um, <laughs> I think there's room for there's room for lots of players in the digital commerce landscape, and I think that there's probably a bit of confusion. And there's certainly a lot of competition uh, around use cases and, and who sits where. I think in our experience, and, and I've got a lot of respect for commerce tools, and it's a, a platform we've diligenced ourselves. It's pretty clear that commerce tools really is is deployable uh, in the very very largest, very very uh, sort of complex, expensive difficult uh, scenarios and that actually probably in 95 97 98% of use cases in and around that mid market and enterprise uh, market shopify is, a, is an exceptional you know very very powerful solution I, there might be a blurred edge where you could look at coming off shopify onto commerce tools or you could look at coming off commerce tools mm. back onto a, a platform like mm. shopify and, and we've seen a little bit of movement in both directions so there've been migrations from shopify to commerce tools and, and vice versa but I think in terms of the volume, I mean, I don't I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know that Commerce Tools added 120 new brands in 2021. We believe that Shopify added 4,000 new brands to Plus in 2022. Now, that's not comparing the same year, but I think that there's a very, very um, big playing field and there's lots of space for, for lots of providers to continue doing what they do really well. And, and in terms of the mid-market, or, or at least that space perhaps in between, the place where Shopify is very obviously dominant and where commerce tools is very obviously dominant. You kind of hit up against a strategic question of, is it easier to grow up into a market or to punch back down into a market below mm-hmm. where you've been operating? And, mm-hmm. and my hunch is that Shopify are much better positioned to uh, grow into that market with existing clients and with opportunities to bring out product development, which we're, we're seeing at the moment. But um it's going to be really interesting to, to watch it play out. And ultimately, you know, whilst we we are building in one ecosystem at Swanky, you know, I have an awful lot of respect for, for different brands uh, and tech providers that do different things. And there really is room for, for lots of variety. Totally. It's a really interesting question, right? And I, I tend to agree. I feel that the punching up, I think punching up when you've got the inertia and momentum of something like a Shopify feels naturally like a great sort of path to success. I'm still like always like struck by how powerful their brand is. And I know that they've spent a lot of time doing it, you know, uh, or working on the brand. And, you know, I remember back in 2016, uh, I remember we had a billboard in Shoreditch. We make websites. <laughs> it was fucking one of the more innovative and probably uh, irresponsible marketing initiatives that we ran in, in, in those days. And no one had heard of it. And there's this huge banner of whatever thing of We Make Websites and Shopify was there and like, it was crazy. But then over the years, now I see Shopify on billboards and at, you know, mm-hmm. bus stops, you know, in 2023, you know, all over London. So yeah. I think that, that the brand is incredibly strong. But I'm curious, there seems to be always naysayers. Why do you think that? Why do you think people like the shit on Shopify? What is that? Do you think it's because they are so dominant and people are scared? Or do you think they generally don't like the platform? Or yeah, how does that kind of work out? I don't know. I'd I'd be really interested in your view on this one. I don't know. And the reason I say I don't know is, well, maybe slightly cynically. It's very easy to throw stones, isn't it? And it's much easier to tear down than it is to build. I think that... um, in an era of populism, 
and social media and unfortunately LinkedIn now has to be categorized as social media. Yep. It's much easier to build an audience with a countercultural view. Uh, it's much easier to attract a following with um, contention. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I don't really know. I, I don't think a lot of people um, are saying negative things about Shopify particularly. Uh, I'm not aware of many use cases where brands are looking at it carefully and going, no, it's definitely not right for us. There will be some, of course. Uh, I'm not aware of folks really struggling to build well on Shopify or seeing Shopify as a constraint in the way that other de- you know, other platforms definitely have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some really kind of clear examples of that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, of course, there are other products who are incentivized to, you know, go on the attack and, and try and identify chinks in, in the Shopify armor. But it's a great product. As you say, it's a great brand. Swanky, we we could build on any number of platforms. We could yeah. diversify our offering. We could build on on a number of others. Uh, we've chosen not to. We we just don't feel the need to. We're we're seeing the average GMV of our clients trending up towards you know 100, 100 million a year now, um, and we've got brands coming on to Shopify at that point who have got mm-hmm. you know aggressive three four year roadmaps. So I I don't know if in practice there is much dissension or or concern. Um, I mean you you are you are a prominent voice I would say in the <laughs> uk e-commerce ecosystem i mean i don't yeah i like i I, i've got a soft spot for it obviously because like Mm. you know professionally it's been an incredibly powerful partner you know like and and personally and professionally um i I, yeah i find it curious to kind of just take a little step back in the you know uh the linkedin um coliseum and (laughs) and let other people kind of duke it out but like you know probably Mm throw my my two cents in there but yeah my, my general take is that people like to throw stones because i think it's easy because they're the big dominant player now but i think people probably don't give the dominance the credit it deserves like that they, they they dominate that's my mm. general take like mm. just continue continue to dominate um but i do believe like with any big player they become probably a bit bloated you know what I mean? And so they're, they're, that's why I think there's an interesting, uh, you know, conversation going on with the likes of Commerce Layer and Centra and these kind of other mid-market platforms that, you know, are not coming down. They're kind of coming sideways, right? They're not coming up. They're not coming mm. down. They're coming sideways. And yeah, I, I, I think there's probably more interesting conversation and probably deal flow and brands sort of gravitating towards those platforms i mean you could probably lump swell and fabric and and all these guys Mm. in there as Mm. well you know there's there's a lot of like headless platforms that seem to be making a lot of room uh or or a lot of Mm. you know headway into into that kind of shopify space but yeah i i think you know i'm always uh intrigued by this conversation because i think it goes Mm. on and i think us e-com nerds get very into it and then i always think like do brands really give a shit like you know like these sort of like nuanced conversations that we have i think they look at something like shopify and just go oh yeah our three biggest competitors are on it yeah okay it's a Mm. no-brainer you know and that's like a, a compelling argument and, and you and I have both built careers at slightly different stages because obviously you've you've spent much longer in this world than I have. But we've both built careers in the Shopify ecosystem. But I, I wouldn't say that either of you, you know, either of the two of us particularly, drink the Shopify Kool Aid in the way that some do. Um, but I think with with as objective and level headed a, a viewpoint as I can take, we're you know we're very comfortable. And as I say, we've we've diligenced lots of other platforms and thought about it. Do we diversify? Is there a use case for some of our clients at the moment? And um, actually, eight, eighteen months ago, there was a growing use case for some of our clients, particularly around international commerce and yep. sort of the growing consensus that headless was this sort of silver bullet, which I'm sure it necessarily always is. But um, 
we we've seen such a pace of product roadmap and rollout in the last 18 months that's completely validated the decision not to not to pursue others at the moment but who knows we shall see we shall see how things unfold and uh, it's 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 very interesting for you and me for others it might be less so but we keep uh very close eye on these things yeah, keeps us entertained we do yeah as nerdy as it is so i'm curious then not to take a a you know to leave the cost of living and the inflation discussion for broadsheet media and we'll keep it to this niche discussion but what's your general take in on the ecom d2c market as we enter 2023 are you bullish are you proceeding with caution and i suppose i'm also interested in like what you're seeing across your portfolio are you seeing higher levels of anxiety i've spoken to other people and they're sort of suggesting that sales lead times are getting longer people are a little less willing to pull the trigger what's your take mm. uh, i'm cautiously optimistic about almost everything in in my life and <laughs> okay. um that's my stock phrase so i'm cautiously optimistic about 2023 and the direct to consumer e-commerce landscape because uh i'm cautious because of course there is uncertainty and there are pressures on retailers in in all sorts of different directions and at different points in their in their sort of end to end model. But um, I'm optimistic because there's so much opportunity. I, I do think that we sort of see it in our portfolio. Some of our clients are still growing very very quickly. Um, I think that the tide is going out a little bit on some of the newer direct to consumer sort of digital first businesses that that perhaps were built on the back of cheap acquisition costs and maybe i don't know brand rather than necessarily that that sort of end to end piece that that you see in a more sophisticated uh, retailer um we're seeing i mean a few trends that we're seeing so so in hindsight 2022 was um was a perfectly good year but it, it was sort of defined by a bit of a slowdown in decision making in in Q3 and Q4. So we didn't have towards the end of 2022 the level of decision making from clients that we would have previously seen. Uh, and I think a lot of folks were waiting to see how Black Friday panned out, how Christmas trading panned out. And as we come into January 2023, where we are now when we're, when we're recording this, um, we've had a lot of decisions made this month and a lot of people are going ahead with projects, which um, they're very bullish about. So whether that reflects changing landscape, softening of of some of the naysayers view towards what 2023 looks like um and maybe just a reflection that actually the world didn't stop people did trade well through you know generally through through q4 i think if you looked at our portfolio of about 30 clients uh if you looked at q4 2022 versus the previous 12 months i think on average gmv across our portfolio was up about 15 or 20 percent in terms of sales now obviously i'm sure that costs and fulfillment and potentially acquisition costs were higher so mm -hmm. margins would have perhaps been a bit more stretched but mm -hmm. i was talking to one of our clients this morning they're, they're sort of breaking through the, the 100 million gmv mark at the moment and very similar language cautious optimism not expecting mm -hmm. spectacular growth this year but they are expecting growth and they are very positive generally about opportunity around so um i think we're trying not to listen too much to mainstream media i've got a very complicated uh it's not complicated uh, i'm very disappointed by the british media and the way that it's handled the last three years uh, and the extent to which it's contributed to a lot of anxiety and a lot of unnecessary um, yeah yeah it's sort of soul searching for a lot of people which which in hindsight was was probably not the most helpful so yeah I, the other big trend of course is and this is my big sort of observation on the market generally which is we're seeing a lot more interest in shopify plus from larger brands who are looking at migrations and 
that is fueled by product development on Shopify's side, but actually it's often fueled as well by uh, inflationary pressure, possibility of recession. Mm, um, looking, looking, yeah. Well, I mean, you and I know that, that Shopify Plus is a, it's a cheaper solution often than you know the, the enterprise competition, and, and so when you're looking at total cost of ownership or time to value for a migration, that's all of a sudden getting getting shorter and, and lower respectively. So. For some brands, there's there's very significant, particularly at some, you know, mar- margins aren't great. Perhaps in certain sectors, there's a great chance to to replatform quickly and to trade well. Uh, there might be some uptick from from the migration and the replatform project anyway. And then there's the, the kind of cost question too. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think going back to the Shopify sort of general positioning, like it feels like again they're so dominant because they now span quite a big section of the market. And I would argue that across those sections, they're economically uh, a very viable and compelling argument, right? So a big brand that is looking to cut costs will look at it, you know, as potentially removing a bit of functionality, but probably they don't need it, you know, and then they go down. And then equally for brands that are, you know, you know, entering the market in 2023, it's a very, you know, that's their sweet spot. So Mm -hmm. again, that's where I feel that, they're just so dominant. It kind of feels like it's a bit of a no-brainer no matter which way you look at it. I mean, I would be worried if I was in a, I don't know, a Salesforce commerce cloud sales position or a Magento. I think that is probably going to be quite challenging. I mean, I know a few Magento agencies that are totally pivoting, right? Um, mm. And that may, may not be to, to Shopify, the other platforms, but... Um, you know, I feel that that must be a, a, a difficult position to be in. Yeah, I think some of those uh, platforms you've mentioned have got very big targets on their back right now. Um, so what does the typical swanky client look like? We kind of looked at, uh, or we talked about the sort of the mechanics of their financials. You know, you've got a number in in that kind of like, you know, decent 100 million GMV mark. But, you know, are you working in certain verticals? Do you guys, are you agnostic across verticals? Talk to me about that. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's quite diverse, really, in some ways, and it's quite niched in others, which is a bit of a silly answer because I've told you everything and nothing. Um, uh, if I talk about the niching first and then a bit more of the diversity, perhaps. So uh, a typical swanky client in terms of its size would probably be relatively mature as a, as a business. It might have been private equity uh, funded. It might have it might be a public company, typically have a good e-commerce team in place already often will be coming from another another platform or will already be on Shopify Plus, but looking to, to do more. Um, subscription has been a really big theme for us over the last two or three years. It's somewhere we've we've really sought to uh, build well and uh, create great expertise and also um, have served brands really well. So, so subscription first brands in and around key verticals for us, which, which are pet care, food and drink, and health and wellness uh, probably make up around half of our our client roster at the moment. Yeah, nice. Um, but there's a bit of all sorts in there, really. We, we've, um, I suppose, like we make websites and, and in some ways followed a similar path to, to uh, the team that you were working with, Tim, but uh, quite early to go international and support international commerce on Shopify Plus, and that remains a really big focus for us. And where there are those use cases where it's um, relatively complex, we, we really enjoy that, and we've got a very capable team that support those sorts of projects and then um and then there's a bit of a sort of uh trend we're seeing at the moment which is we're working with an awful lot of brand groups who are looking at 
not just one brand at a time, but taking a portfolio approach. Mm -hmm. So perhaps they've got 10 or 15 brands in the group and um, either they are seeing the need to standardize approach, technology, strategy, team, uh, kind of cross-fertilization of of wins and what have you and and lessons learned. Um, And others who have built brand groups through M&A and have ended up with all kinds of different brands operating on different platforms with different tech stacks and they, they want to consolidate. So um, that's a very meandering way of saying we, we're sort of doing a bit of all sorts, really. <laughs> no, of- I think that, that makes total sense. I mean, I feel that in the, the, the days are probably slightly gone in the sense of a Shopify agency that work with fashion and lifestyle brands, I, I, I would argue. I think it feels like you guys are in that, I mean, dare I say, omni-channel, a slightly more mature type of client, right? And not just from the brand's perspective, but like working with that portfolio or, you know, M&A sort of activity type relationship where they've got a number of brands kind of coming under the one umbrella and standardizing the technology that sits across each of those different companies. Um, yeah, that, 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 that makes total sense. Um, I think it sounds super... I mean, it definitely speaks to the idea of like, you guys are in an interesting position and probably quite well placed as Shopify continues to mature. There's like a nice coalescing of the sorts of brands that you're working with and the platform. And then you guys are the nice intersection between the two. Mm, Absolutely. And, and, you know, you're quite right that um, probably 2016 to 2018, being a Shopify Plus agency as as you were and and we were, was a very good point of difference because there weren't many of us at that stage. There are a few more now. And... um, and the it's great for the market. You know, there's a lot more choice. There's a lot more uh, variety. There's different people doing different things well. But you're, you're right that that lifestyle and fashion space, and we've got some really good clients in and around particularly premium fashion uh, and sort of more the health and wellness than the lifestyle. But we've got some really good clients in that space. But but you're right that there's a little bit more um, availability of, of uh, teams that can, that can work well in that sort of space. And um, whilst our team very good at that and, and very much enjoy that and particularly in the sort of the design centric nature of some of that work when you're talking about really complex international subscription integration for example with all kinds of middleware going on and uh, that is a different beast and a different type of project and you want a different team so yeah that's totally. that's you know and we've and we've got this sort of slight nuance whereby you know you don't want every project to be redefining the sort of the, you know, rewriting the universe but at the same time when you've got an experienced team we need to continue winning really interesting and challenging projects to stretch and engage uh, and um, really kind of find find the sweet spot for a, a talented team that want to be building their careers. And, and totally. I mean, that, that's such a key thing, right? And I mean, we, I mean, we could spend a whole other podcast talking about, you know, a Shopify, well, whatever, a web development agency, although there's a incredible skill that goes with it, they're a people company, right? And in order to retrain retain and attract good talent like working on cool interesting stuff is is part of it so you know churning out the same old theme for these you know particular type of brands i can see as an engineer may not seem as appealing as building yeah custom subscription engines for you know big brands um i want to get back to you coming in as a ceo because i do find that that's like a super interesting kind of topic and i'm curious like, what was your process coming into the company as a CEO? You know, how did you play it? I remember when we talked, you had kind of a bit of a plan coming into it. I'm curious, 
what was that plan and how <laughs> how did it go? Of course, you don't need to divulge anything too sensitive, but I, but I, I'm curious because I, I do feel that a lot of agencies, you know, want to hire big heavy hitters like you, but don't always do it. And I think maybe they could learn from your experience um, in terms of how you would integrate into a team. So yeah, how did it go? Mm, How's it going? Thank you. Yeah, and thanks. You said some very kind things about me, so I should probably just say say thank you. Um, yeah, you, you and I talked about this, and and I I can't remember if you've read Michael D. Watkins' book, The First Ninety Days. No, that was the one that you were. Yeah, that that was what I was remembering in terms of the kind of process. So, in in true lawyer style, uh, the first thing I did when appointed as uh, a CEO of Swanky was to read a book. So, uh, <laughs> nice. tell, tells you a lot about me. Probably. So that's stage one for any uh, budding CEOs entering uh, services businesses. Read a book. Yeah, read read everything. Absolutely. Nice. Um, Michael Watkins' book is it's sort of the go to really from it's coming out of Harvard Business Review Press, but it, it's almost like the bible of how to go into a new job well and that could be a new job in an existing organization because you've been promoted or or as i did coming into a new role in a new company in a new industry in in my case and um his his main premise really is that you need to really understand the organization and that completely determines or helps you to tailor your your behavior and how you approach it and he's got this model he calls it the stars model he talks about five different types of company and it's probably generalized slightly but he talks about startups which are new turnarounds which are failing accelerated growth situations where you're coming in to kind of pour fuel on on the fire realignment where it's going well but you've got to just slightly change the direction of the boat because you're not quite going where you need to and then the sort of in some ways the easiest one which is sustaining success where you come in and you basically don't touch anything because it's probably going pretty well and you can you can just watch for six months and then figure out what maybe maybe you might be able to add yep Uh, because each of those requires very different leadership behaviors and uh I had a sort of prevailing view that Swanky was probably a combination of sustaining success, a bit of accelerated growth, and a bit of realignment, probably, mm-hmm. um, which most you know was mostly right. Like any business, there were some bits that needed a bit of a turnaround. So there were some departments or some some functions which needed a bit of help. And actually, there are other parts of the business where I do want us to think more like a startup and really go back into sort of second gear and, and put our foot down because. There's opportunity to build new things, but at a time when we are now at sort of 70 people, you haven't necessarily got the dynamic that we had with 10 or 15, mm. where everybody was in a room, you could look each other in the eye, uh, and the founders could have very high visibility and, and motivation over every activity and, and sort of lead everything. So a really good example of that has been the data team that we're building at the moment and have built over the last 18 months or so, because we think data, data insights and the role that that plays in experimentation and digital experience and digital experience intelligence is is crucial. Um, But that's an example of where the market doesn't necessarily fully understand that. And Mm. so for us to think more like a startup with a newer product, rather than the sort of relatively mature scale up that we are in the Shopify ecosystem is uh, very helpful. So, um, so yes, I read a book and (laughs) made a bit of a plan (laughs) and tried to stick to it, then ripped it up a bit. And, um, Everybody was very patient with me, I think, and I tried to be very slow to judge anything and and, um, slow to change anything, really. But over the first three to six months, sort of gradually started to find my feet. And um, there were a few changes in team. I think when you have a leadership change in a business, there'll be some people that decide now is the sort of the end of their chapter and they want to go and do other things. And equally, others really buy into you and buy into your vision. And that's really Mm -hmm. exciting. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a bit of a bit of a 
time of transition and change. But um, uh, the other thing I'd say, and I'd credit, I'd credit the founders of, of Swanky, Matt and Dan, who not only demonstrated incredible humility, I think, in in acknowledging that they wanted a bit of help and hiring yep. me, yep. but basically got out of the way. And yep. they're still operationally involved full time, and if anything, working harder than ever and and uh, really sort of shoulder to the plough, but at the same time gave me an awful lot of room to come in and probably make a few mistakes, but also find my way and, and find my voice and find my feet in the business, which was their business. It was their baby that they'd built and grown for 11 years and and have incredibly really given given me room to make my mark upon i think that that that's such an interesting last point and i, I would argue that bringing in anyone senior at any level is kind of needs that level of uh of trust and time to let them to bring in in their thing and make it their own and i'd say like it, it couldn't have worked right if, if you didn't have that so that that's really interesting to hear um i've got two final questions first off is or being a lawyer is there any advantage to that coming in as a ceo of an agency my 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 assumption is there are advantages obviously from a contractual perspective and reviewing contracts and i suspect maybe your contracts probably got a lot better you going in but yeah talk to me about that have there been any do you think it's a big advantage i mean it's a great question or any life, disadvantages uh, well no yeah no doubt that. <laughs> You know, are, are there any advantages in life in being a lawyer? And that's a very good question <laughs> for another day. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there clearly, there clearly have been some advantages. I mean, I can I can think of a couple which I'll share. So, you, you're right that coming from a very commercial background into a slightly more creative environment brings certain strengths, which has been good. Um, I think it's also worth saying that, that, like a lot of the larger Shopify Plus agencies, we we were sort of started off as very much a digital and or sort of design development agency and are on this strange journey now to becoming a professional services firm. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard journey to navigate without people that have seen the other side. And um, to an extent, you know, sometimes the the corporate world is perceived as the dark side and and at times rightly so. But I think sometimes creative firms can throw out the baby with the bathwater a little bit and assume that just because something is a bit corporate, uh, that it's not good and it and it doesn't help. So um, yeah, there there are advantages. Um, if you look at the Shopify Plus ecosystem, all of the big four are getting very interested in moving in at the moment. Mm. There's loads of private equity interest and activity. So um, I think those are all sorts of areas where professional folk with backgrounds in law or finance or banking or management consultancy could definitely make a really positive impact mm-hmm. uh, and really help steer some of that journey but need to do it really you know, and I've had to learn this really really carefully and, and gently and respectfully because for example if you take the, the concept of efficiency which is pretty well fine-tuned in those sorts of organizations like law firms there's a prevailing view that efficiency and innovation are diametrically opposed and cannot mm-hmm. really coexist. Mm-hmm. So if you bring efficiency, do you lose innovation, for example? Mm-hmm. That's that's a really important question for, mm-hmm. for people with backgrounds a bit more like mine. A um, couple of other advantages, I guess, really have continued to be well served by my my connections from, from the previous life. So I'm um, very grateful for some former clients and colleagues who uh, have become friends and uh, continue to provide wise counsel and are a great sounding board for me. And I've really enjoyed those relationships continuing to grow. Um, in terms of drawbacks, I guess there aren't loads of role models for what I've done. Mm. And um, most agency owners have built their own agency. Most 
MDs or CEOs of agency groups have grown through agencies and maybe they've been part of acquisitions or roll-ups or groups which mm-hmm. have, have built, um, uh, adopted a buy and build model. So I, I feel like I'm relatively, um, uh, I've had to be quite proactive, I suppose, in finding good kind of role models and, and mentors and external counsel. Um, and I guess the, the last risk of, of hiring a lawyer to run an agency is, well, um, high performance looks quite different in, in the two organisations and yep. success is defined quite differently. So you think about law firms being a world of, um, well, you probably think of law firms being like, you know, Mike and, and Harvey from Suits, yep. um, which, you know, um, I, I am a lot like Mike Ross, of course. So <laughs> you know, that that was a, an accurate picture of my life, but not not all lawyers uh, have have that kind of experience. <laughs> and I'm, jo- I'm joking, of course, but um, I would say that, that learning to bridge the gap kind of, points around cultural intelligence, emotional intelligence, and also just understanding that this is a completely different business model that whilst providing expert services to clients for a fee is, is mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's such a difference. And so, um, yeah, I've sort of sought wherever possible to kind of disregard all that might be unhealthy, but retain all that's good. And um, you have to ask my team how, how I've got on. With it. <laughs> all right, I'll get a NPS score. Yeah. Um, Final question. What would you be doing if you weren't the CEO of an agency? Would you be a lawyer? Would you do something else? And if so, what would that be? I've not thought about this for such a long time. I've been so immersed, I suppose, in in what we're building. And um, what would I be doing? I, well, I'd be doing one of two or three things. I, I'd definitely be building something. Mm-hmm. And that would either be a practice in, in a law firm. Although actually, I, th- I think at the time I was looking at Swanky, there were a number of options in terms of going in-house for um, sort of late-stage venture capital-backed companies across Europe, which we were mm-hmm. considering. So something like that could have been quite fun as a, as a pivot into uh, the SaaS world and then maybe into a commercial role. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I think, I think I've think i learned enough about myself now to understand how I could be deployed in, in different environments. And um, obviously you never know what the future will bring. And, and I'm hoping to be at Swanky for a very long time and to continue building uh, for a very significant period of time. But... Uh, if I wasn't, I'm sure there'd be some other fun uh, projects that we could be uh, looking at. Nice. That's a very diplomatic answer, Dan. I like it. <laughs> That's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for being on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. Hold up. 